many times inside we think, I'm not going to go and talk this thing over with somebody that bothers me because either there's not enough time or it's not that big a deal, I'll get over it. But I think many times, um, if there's something that's bothering you for more than 24 hours, you're not going to win by just pushing that out. Welcome to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Rains. Join us as we discover ways to define, measure, and grow your culture. We want to help you intentionally build a culture that fits you. Hey leaders, welcome back to the Build Your Culture Brand podcast. I have with me today, Dustin Burwell, and he's one of our coaches, one of our executive coaches on our team here at Leaders Q. And we're just thrilled to have you on the show today, Dustin. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Jay. So Dustin, actually, you you live uh, you live in Dublin, Ireland right now. So, uh, you know, you're working with our team, you're working with uh, leaders here in America and around Europe, but why in the world are you raising your family in Dublin, Ireland? Yeah, well, there's really two reasons. Um, one, I love Europe. We love Dublin. We came here on holiday uh, like 10 or 15 years ago and fell in love with this place. And so we always wanted to move back. And then as we did more research around Dublin specifically, just realizing all of the tech hubs that are based out of here and the great impact that could be made from this city. Um, it's the primary English speaking city now, uh, besides Brexit in Europe. And, uh, and because of Microsoft being based here and eBay and Google and all these tech companies, the energy here is amazing. And so we really love living here. It's a great, great place to be. And we just got citizenship for Ireland last November. So we're American Irish, now. And so it's kind of cool. We have access to all of Europe. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. That's quite a, quite a step uh, for y'all in, in your family. So, and you've been such a great contributor to our team. I remember I, when I met you, we were actually in coach training. It was uh, some training that we were doing on uh, our coach proficiency. And, and you were, you were in the U S we met in Atlanta. We were at this training and I just, you know, out of all the coaches there, you really stood out in my mind. And as I was starting this company, I thought, you know what, there's going to be a day where I probably need, I need to see about having Dustin on my team and it, it's worked out. So thanks for, for serving our leaders in such a tremendous way for these last several years. Um, so wanted to, you know, ask a little bit about, this is kind of a question that we ask about, you know, your leadership. Um, what? is your, Dustin, what's your leadership superpower? Leadership superpower. Um, I, I've been I mean, you know, put on the Marvel costume, you know, you, you, yeah. you know, if you had a, a lasso of truth, you know, whatever. <laughs> lasso of truth. Yeah. Me and Wonder Woman. Uh, so yeah, I think that my leadership superpowers, I take concepts that seem detached and can create something new from those concepts. And so being based where I'm at in Ireland and then working with in hospitality and in tech and with um, consultancy and different things around Europe and the US, it puts me in this special place where I have contradictory ideas sometimes that actually inform and make something new that's relevant for all those different sectors. And so I really love the space I get to live in. And I think that is one of the things that sets me apart as unique. 
um, and is a superpower that I have. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. And, and that, I think that's the world. That's what's needed in our world right now is there's so many different sectors and to be able to see into multiple sectors and see how they converge and actually inform one another, that'd be a great superpower to have. So a great insight. So what, what would be your kryptonite? What works against you as a leader? Yeah, my kryptonite um, has been organization. So um, it's not that I'm disorganized, but I'm constantly working on the things that are interesting to me, which is good. I think that that drives the passion, um, but I have to compensate for for admin tasks. And I do that in a number of different ways, just like anybody. But I think because it's my kryptonite, I've had to create really clear structures and systems that help me manage that aspect of my life so I can focus on the things that are most important to me. And through learning how to do that, then I help others create great systems in their infrastructure that allows them to, to also do that well. So it's been really a, it's a kryptonite that I've had to work through, but it works to help others. That's good. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things I heard someone say, you know, if you want to become a great pitcher, don't go to a great pitcher to learn how to pitch, go to their coach, you know, like who has to work really hard at pitching to think about pitching, you know, like the natural talent may not be the person to go to to learn something from. So I, I can see how, you know, the struggle and, you know, having to figure out these systems has actually given you insight on how to, you know, work hard at creating systems and making sure those automations are, are working for you and not against you. So good way to use uh, maybe a little bit of your superpower you're able to use in your kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, it does. It comes up all the time with clients. You know, they're like, oh, I want better work-life balance or um, I want a better cadence. And so I get to to talk through and they're like, what do you do? And so I can share like, well, here's what I do. And it works for me what do you want to do? And then they figure out systems and apps and things that work for them. But it really is helpful for that type of personality. There's a lot of us. Well, I know, Dustin, before I met you, you'd already been coaching for several years and pretty proficient. You were actually kind of upgrading your, your coach training at the time. And I wanted to ask, you know, just for our listeners benefit, because a lot of people actually don't understand what coaching is all about. But from your perspective as an executive coach, what's something you really love about coaching? What, what are those moments that keep you going and keep you excited about coaching? Yeah, that's a, such a good question. And it's, I have the benefit of having come to coaching through being coached. So I was in an executive role, at a nonprofit. Um, I was overseeing lots of money, lots of volunteers, lots of staff. And I was burning out. I was wore out. I mean, the admin stuff didn't help. And so um, I hired a coach back then. And I, as I got into coaching, it was like three sessions in. Um, I, I got to feel the magic of coaching, which I know seems kind of an inflated word, but there's just something that happens when somebody is so in your corner and is understanding you and working with your personality to help you get the best results for your future, uh, which sounds all inflated, but that's exactly what happened in my life with a coach. And so experiencing moving from uh, being burnt out and tired and overwhelmed to getting systems and structures and processes 
and the right people and the right structures around leadership in place through coaching, I was like, wow, this is powerful. And I went in a six month time span. Um, I got a promotion, uh, started to see projects flourish and take off. Um, I had a team, one team was two people and it went to 12 people within three months from the coaching and the things that we were developing. And I thought, wow, this is powerful. I need to get these skills. And so that's when I came into coaching. And I've been amazed at the magic that my clients feel through coaching when they get to experience the skill set that I learned. And, uh, and we see things like what I experienced happen in my clients' lives all the time. People move from burnout to flourish. They move from um, overwhelmed and not able to have boundaries to having boundaries and feeling like they have control over life. They move from not having people in the leadership pipeline to having a plethora of leaders to draw from. And so I love getting to, to do all that with the coaching skills that I've learned. Thanks, Dustin, for that perspective on coaching. I, I love how you fell in love with coaching from the other seat, you know, as a, as a coachee, just seeing how, you know, kind of like you said, the magic that happened and you, you got to experience that and really fell in love. I wanted to ask a, another question about, about you personally and your leadership journey. Looking back, what what would be something you might call a failure at the time that ended up propelling you forward? <laughs> I mean, if I have to choose from all of them, it's really tough. So let me just focus in on one. Um, no, I, you know, I think so. So my failure is tends to be follow through. Um, I'm I'm kind of the type of person you know, the brainwave thing. I love the creative, the cutting edge. I'm very interested in stuff at the beginning. And the failure usually comes about two thirds of the way through. And for me, I don't have a failure mindset. So the word is a little bit loaded for me, but um, just specifically, you know, I, <laughs> uh, it took me four, it took me seven years to get through my four-year degree. And, um, and part of that was I was working full time and, and we had kids during that season and all that. But part of it was just procrastination and not managing the way that I should have. And so um, one of the, the saddest things was I was doing a um, my business class and I was part of a team. We had to develop a product together and all these different things. And I completely dropped the ball and did not engage the way I should have. And um, I remember being so disappointed. So I, I ended up getting a bad grade and I had to retake that, that class. And I remember going to my wife and just apologizing. Like we didn't have a ton of money anyway, and now we've got to pay for this class again. And, um, and what happened though is experiencing that failure has taught me that I don't want to experience that regret anymore. And uh, so the next time around, I was ahead of, <laughs> I was way ahead of schedule, um, managed the, my time. We had a great product. Everything went well in that second round. Probably my classmates thought I was pretty epic, but they didn't know I'd been through it all before. Um, and uh, and so I, I think what that's taught me is the power of thinking of my future self and what I'll feel when I don't follow through on the things that are most important to me. And that actually motivates me back into today to work harder. So even things like I want to work out four or five times a week. And 
often I don't have the motivation on the front end, but I think to myself, you know what? I know when I missed last week, it felt terrible at the end of the day. And so remembering that, even those small failures, like micro failures, motivate me to get to the gym. And I have way more consistency because of that. So I know it's not as specific as you'd like, but that's kind of, that's real. That's really where I live. No, what a great story. And, you know, that, that power of regret, um, I know, you know, there's some great stuff out there about the power of regret. So just that idea that regret is a, is a great motivator and it's something that can help us overcome in the future. So way to, way to really be in tune and, and really out of the care of a relationship, it drove you to do this task that, you know, it's kind of that results versus relationship situation where the relationship with your wife really drove better results. So way to put those two together. That kind of leads us actually into the topic we were going to focus on today, because you and I have talked quite a bit about how to help teams and leaders with conflict. And so, um, you know, that, that was kind of an example of a conflict within your own, you know, your own self and kind of a situation that was created by your own choices. If, if we turn that over to the team and look at team conflict and interpersonal conflict, what are, what are some areas where you're seeing that cause uh, troubles within organizations that you're working with, whether with our team or others that you work with around the world? Yeah. Well, conflict comes up um, all the time, or at least it should. You know, in Lencioni's book, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, the base, base one is trust, right? We need trust. And if you read the book, a little bit of what comes out is teams that have conflict are teams that tend to build trust. But what matters is how they enter in and get through the conflict, not avoid it. Um, and so what I've been experiencing with, with teams and, and specifically with, with CFA is um, realizing that there are different conflict styles at play is really helpful. And there's resources, if you just Google different conflict styles, you can find, um, there's, there's whole studies on it. But realizing that my conflict style may not be your conflict style and that's okay is like the beginning of empathy around conflict. And then from there, uh, there's ways to, to approach the other person in a way that enables them to enter into the conflict, still feeling um, able to, you know, they don't have to hide, they don't have to have the fight or flight response, but enter into it in a way that's going to be helpful and realizing that it's a it's worth it. I went through a course uh, one time in counseling, actually, and they were talking about how that conflict is an invitation to increased intimacy, which uh, it was in a marriage context of that thing. So uh, may not fully translate. But the idea is when we choose to enter in and go through conflict, the other side of that means better relationship if we handle that well. And better relationship means better teams. Better teams means better results and we're able to go further faster together. And so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the beginning of conflict management. So a couple of things that, you know, I hear and that I want to kind of pull some threads that, that I saw in there. So one, you're using this word conflict. And I, I think most of the listeners probably they, they hear the word conflict and is a very negative term. Like it's something to avoid at all costs. Right. But, but what I hear you saying is there is, 
there is such a thing as good conflict that we should actually run to run toward. And so help me understand the difference between good and bad conflict. Yeah. So as you look at conflict and as I talk to people and coach people, most of the time conflict creates feelings, negative feelings inside of us. And so that's what causes us to either want to fight. You know, I just want to, I want to own the situation. I'm going to step in. I'm going to, uh, they're going to show them or, or that flight, which is, we all know that we want to go hide and uh, it's not that big a deal anyway, which usually then leads to festering and turns out bad anyway. But the, the newest one, so they, the one that I've been most interested in watching develop is this fawn, fight, flight, or fawn. Um, there's other ones too. There's like five of them, but this fawn one is kind of interesting in that fawning is when the person behaves as though they're fully on board while internally they're fully checked out. And you'll see this a lot crop up in, in environments, workplace environments where people are at the meeting, they're there, but you can tell that they're not aligned and they're not synced up. And that's actually a, a defensive response to conflict. And so, yeah, conflict, it's uncomfortable, but it's just uncomfortable if we enter in and we move through it. Basically, we have to create ways for us to overcome our feelings of negativity around it so that we can see the benefits. You know, building off of that, Pat Lencioni, as he builds out those five dysfunctions of teams, he starts with trust and he says, you know, that's kind of step one. And then you move into step two is this conflict. And and while I understand that progression, you know, go from conflict, then to commitment, then to accountability, then to results. But that that trust conflict construct, I've noticed that it's not just linear. It's actually kind of a cycle. So you can you start with trust, you go to conflict, you build more trust through the conflict if you do it well. And, and it actually is a almost a stair step effect together. They, they actually work in tandem. How do you feel about that that idea? You and I haven't really talked about that of it being more of a cycle than a progression. Yeah, it's it could be a really healthy cycle. I think um, and I'm not just saying this because this is the culture brand podcast, but um, there has to be a culture that enables trust and conflict for it to work well. And the culture needs to be established around the we and the us and our values and what we find is most important. And when we can agree on those things, then we can have the discussion, the debates and the difference of opinions inside of that. Um, but you kind of need that, that like backing. So here's the thing. If I know that you've got my back and that you're for me and that you want to see me thrive and you want to see me win, then when we enter into conflict and a disagreement, and I feel like you're saying some harsh things, I'm still going to get through that conflict because I know the, the foundational stuff, the cultural stuff that informs the conversation is already in place. And I, I think that's a key factor of just establishing that kind of, it's the foundational stuff that enables that trust conflict pattern to be repeated in a healthy way. Okay, let's let's think about. We actually didn't prepare for this, but this is an interesting topic. So, okay, what is that we part then? What are those we elements? I mean, I, I could see the vision, mission, values, purpose, 
being a big part of that. Like if we're not clear on those things, how can we really join together in trust and then good conflict? And then, you know, it's like even foundational pre-trust, right? What would be some other, did I miss anything? Are there any other factors that should be included in that culture establishment? Yeah. So you've got kind of high level cultural information, which I think is that purpose values, uh, things that we work on, which are critical. There's also um, a team culture that I think gets overlooked sometimes. How are, how are we going to behave? What are the rules of conflict and en- engagement that we have for ourselves? You know, and, and I think sometimes this is overlooked and creates distrust and um, the fight, flight, or fawn responses. And so it's this idea of, um, you know, I'm basically outlining what, how does our team function? What do we believe about our team that informs how we have conflict? So if I believe that my team has my best in mind, if I believe that my team uh, is not going to gossip around, if I, if I mess up or if I blow up, if I believe that they've got my back that way, if I believe that we are, we have a general gracious attitude towards one another and a growth mindset that enables us to make mistakes. You know, everybody says we need to create cultures where it's okay to make mistakes. And then somebody makes a mistakes and then they're like, wow, you are terrible. We're not going to let you, you know, but to actually have a team culture where, hey, what happened there? It seemed like in that meeting, you really lost lost yourself a little bit and you started yelling at somebody else, what was going on there? And believing the best about the people around the table, those kinds of like team dynamics inform then if I'm able to enter into conflict in a a healthier way. And if they're just assumed, that's where we get in trouble because everybody brings in different assumptions of what the team does and doesn't do or how they should behave. And then when those things, when the should behaves are pushed against and we find something different, that's where we become jaded and we don't trust and we don't understand. And yeah, that, that's a really, um, I've seen, seen restaurants and I've seen teams that have years of that. And it's really difficult to get the, the trust dynamics back after that. You know, I I think what, part of what you're touching on there is values. Like when we, when we step outside of this line, we've crossed a line of our, of our shared values. You know, you may have some of your values. I have my values, but what are our, our shared values? What are the agreed on rules of the game for our team? I, I like to think of that as like the, the outside lines of a basketball court. Like, you know, you've crossed, you know, you've stepped off the team. You've stepped off the court when you cross this line and we can't play the game when you step outside of these boundaries. And so values are those boundaries. But then some of the things we've done, you and I have done with teams on culture brand is to take those values that are boundaries and actually turn them into positive actions to move toward. Like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing together instead of what are we not going to do? What are we, what are we going to do so that we know we're a part of the game? So just to kind of, kind of insert that language into here from, culture brand. And so, all right. So we've, we've got this idea of, of culture has to be clear. Then I think this is the message you're saying, 
once culture is clear, then we can move into these, the trust level, because we know the rules of the game, we can trust each other. Then we can move into that good conflict because we're aiming for something together and conflict now can be this positive move together for the future. Uh, conflict is more about finding the best answer together rather than my opinion versus your opinion. So with that in mind, thinking about conflict resolution, what are some maybe guiding points that we can use to help us in moving positively toward healthy conflict? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I work on with teams and leaders as we work through having creating a space for good conflict. Um, you know, step one, like we've just been talking about, establishing those boundaries and and how we will behave in circumstances is, is number one. Number two, though, is like getting everybody on board with that, creating that alignment. And it's probably your first opportunity for a little bit of conflict is creating alignment around those those things. And so um, sitting down with your, your team and just saying, hey, here's some ideas. How do you feel about these ideas of when we bump up against each other, when we have a difference of opinions, what do you think about these ideas of how we should engage with one another? And usually there's different opinions that come into that. And I find that to be um, a catalyst actually for healthy conflict moving forward, just even that conversation. Um, and then from there, it's also around, you know, there's this idea of like, and I don't think it's, I don't think you should assume it, this idea of short, keeping short accounts with people. And many times inside, we think, I'm not going to go and talk this thing over with somebody that bothers me because either there's not enough time or it's not that big a deal, I'll get over it. And maybe that's true. That's something to think through. But I think many times, um, if there's something that's bothering you for more than 24 hours, you're not going to win by just pushing that out. And so uh, another facet should be how quickly do we enter into a conversation when we feel that tension inside of us? And I find that there's some healthy guidelines around that. You know, if it goes more than 24 hours or if it happens more than twice, then I'm definitely going to go talk to somebody and, and address it. And in that, then it's also creating the right environment for that conversation to happen. And I think this is another aspect that usually comes in. So um, just because you feel it strongly in the moment doesn't mean it's the right moment to enter into a conversation or a conflict. Um, and yeah, and so really setting the stage, you know, setting the expectation, hey, I have something that's challenging that I need to talk through with you. And so, um, and, you know, I, I believe that I'm believing the best here. I believe that you didn't intend some things, but I want to talk it through and I need to get through this with you. When might be the best time for that? And then what is the best place for that? Um, Sun Tzu's Art of War uh, says, this is not maybe an art of war for us, but the idea, it says that, um, that never go into the enemy's camp when you're doing negotiations. And, uh, and then he goes on to say, invite them to your camp or meet in a neutral space. And, um, and so I find, you know, putting this in the business context, maybe doesn't directly translate, but I love the idea and find that it's so much better 
to find a neutral space. Maybe it's not in the office. Maybe it's not in the restaurant or in that context. Maybe it's offsite. Let's go talk this out. And the idea is a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective. And so change of place somewhere else, change of pace, it's not in our fast paced environment, allows for us to have different perspectives around the thing that we're talking through. So I think that's another facet, just set it up well. And thirdly, it's working through the conflict to the other side. And so um, there's, a, there's a book out called Crucial Conversations, really helpful, it describes it in greater detail. It's a great book to check out. But um, one of the things that they bring up in there is you'll know you've reached the other side of the conflict when joking starts to happen and laughter starts to happen. And if we're not careful, we'll short, we'll short the conflict early and not get to the other side. And people then are leaving still with, with a lot of pent up energy. And in the book, they talk about how laughter is kind of a release valve for the energy that's built up. And so when you reach it, you know that the energy, the, the release valve has been opened and you're at the other side completely. And conflict takes time. And so it's not only choosing the right time, but it's choosing enough time so that you can get through to the other side. What a great, what a great indicator of resolve conflict. And I could see that there needs to be a warning in there, like, because you have the people that are, they're wanting to joke way too early. You know, you, you're like, oh, let's make this a joke. Like, no, what you're saying is take it seriously, work it to the end. And when both of you are able to laugh, then, then that, that's an indicator that there's a release happening. Yeah, I, I had a conflict with a boss um, one time and I almost got fired. And um, and uh, it was this idea of like, I think, you know, my boss says to me, I think you might be done. And I was like, I think I might be done, you know, like this. And so I went into my office, I shut my door, he's in his office. I start writing up my email of like how things transpired that I was gonna give to the board. And uh, and so then he, he, uh, he calls me up. He says, Hey, can you come back in here? So I go back in and, uh, and he's like, Hey, I didn't love how that went. And I said, I didn't either. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, what were you thinking talking to me like that? And I was like, I don't know. That was really disrespectful. And he goes, yeah. And I'm sorry for how I responded, but we started laughing about the conflict we had just had. And I was like, Hey, let's never do this again <laughs> like this. And so we created some ways that we were going to behave coming out of that. But yeah, it's so important awesome. to get to that other side and, and you don't force it. It's not a forced laughter thing. It's an energy release. You can feel the change in temperature. Is there a certain way that a person should try to show up to a conflict? Like, are, are there some other principles that keep in mind as I prepare to, to engage in a moment of conflict? Yeah, I've actually, I've been recently um, <laughs> taking a course in behavioral science from Trinity College here at Dublin. And um, there's some really interesting data points and discoveries that they're doing around this. I can't go into all that. Here's what I will say, though. Um, if you will enter into the conversation, setting aside your bias and your assumptions and your prejudice that even comes up, and realizing that we all have that, 
and it, instead enter into the conversation or the conflict with curiosity. So instead of saying, um, why did you do it that way? Because that, that entails that I know the way you should have done it. And I assume that you should know the right way to do it. Instead, you come in and you say, hey, what was your thinking around how the way that you approach that? And it's really trying, not, it's not a technique. It's actually just entering in with curiosity and without judgment so that you can hear out their process and how they went after it. And by giving the benefit of the doubt like that, entering into that posture, you'll get better understanding for yourself. So you'll have more empathy and understanding for them next time. You'll start to understand people in the organization generally better and they feel like you've honored them because you didn't come in with judgment. Nobody likes to be judged. Now, if you hear their thinking and you're like, wow, okay, I understand the thinking. Um, is there a better way to approach this? You know, that's the next part of it. Yeah, actually, I think I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done it this way. Then you can draw that out and it changes the conversation. But start with curiosity and then move into to corrective thinking or corrective posturing, I think. You know, I, I love the way you use the word curiosity there. And, and in some of my coaching conversations, there's this um, desire for people to, to show humility. And one of the things I've noticed is it's, it's really hard to do humility, but it's a lot easier to do curiosity. And so if you, if you actually act curious, you know, you, you lead, lead with curiosity, it is a really good way to to actually show humility um kind of as a as a byproduct so interesting approach of reducing bias or or at least being honest about bias like hey my mind is kind of headed this way on this topic i just you know i just want you to know like the way this came across it it i my reaction is to go this way but but i really want to be aware of that. And I want to hold back on that. I'd like to hear more about what's going on before I keep going down this road. And so kind of declaring bias is, is a way to also open up to curiosity. Yeah. I, I love um, it. I was uh, just on Thursday, I met up with a friend. Um, so there's really Gaza conflict has happened, you know, this past, past week, past 10 days. And um, so he's Palestinian and He's somebody I built a relationship with over the past couple of years. And I, I, we sat down and I didn't intend to have the conversation. We'd planned on meeting anyway, but I said, Hey, how are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm not doing too well. It's been a really tough week. And I said, yeah, I wanted to ask about that, but I want you to know, um, as I'm entering this conversation, my bias is towards Israel and towards, you know, cause I'm American, maybe because of my upbringing. My bias is here, but I want to put that aside and I want to hear from you, your perspective on everything that's happening. And it was a rich conversation. And I learned, like, I'm not saying that everything he said I agreed with, but I didn't need to. I wanted to hear where he was coming from in his thinking. And in so doing, he said, hey, this has been so helpful for me. I feel like I'm not even given the opportunity to share. And I feel like if we had more conversations, it'd be, he says, I really think it would lead to world peace, which um, was pretty beautiful, but yeah. So, um, so I, 
it's just setting aside, recognizing, acknowledging, and then moving into curiosity. You're going to win relationship. And if you win in relationship, you're going to win. That's good. You know, another, I'm, there was another thread I want to pull back here. So, and it fits really well A thread from earlier. You mentioned the word empathy. I meant to pull on that thread. So we'll bring it up here because how does, so this curiosity is a way to, to bring empathy. One is empathy required for conflict resolution. I, I heard that it, from your voice, it seemed like maybe it is. And, and so this is one way to show empathy. Um, and, and also, is there a way to do empathy in relation to recognizing the values at play? Because typically conflict is about a conflict of values more than anything. So how do we interplay empathy, recognizing values, resolving conflict? You, I'm, I'm using your superpower here, mixing worlds. So what, what are your thoughts on those concepts? Yeah, well, I... It's this idea. So if the way I understand empathy, and I know it's not the, maybe the proper definition, but empathy is the ability to get into the other person's skin to, or we say, uh, what's the saying? Like put on somebody else's shoes or walk a mile in their shoes, that kind of idea. Walk a mile, yeah. Yeah. And it's really tough because I'm in my own shoes. I have my own perspective. I have my own thinking. And I think that my shoes are pretty great. They fit my feet really well. And um, putting on somebody else's shoes doesn't always fit too well. But the idea is, um, for me, one of the things I've been practicing and trying to do, and I, I'm not I'm not great at it, but I'm learning, is I try to, I just try to understand if it were reversed, how would I want to be approached? How would I want somebody to to bring up the conversation? How would I want somebody to enter in? What would I want them to acknowledge about themselves? Um, and then that's what I try to bring into the conversation. And it's been actually, it's been suiting me pretty well. And so it is something I would recommend practicing, but it's hard work. Like you actually have to prepare and preparation is a critical, critical piece to healthiness, I think healthy things. It's this picture to me of lowering defensive walls. So if, if I come in too strong, walls go up, less gets resolved. If I come in, um, you know, with, with curiosity and empathy, it, it, it lowers walls and creates that greater opportunity for real conversation, real hearing to happen. And so I appreciate you know, those, those best practices that you're talking about seem to be moving toward less defensiveness and more openness. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the very beginning, moving from me to we. And so um, the other thing that comes up frequently is conflict tends to be face to face, me yelling at you, you yelling at me or sitting across from the table. And um and what the visual I like to think about is how can we get shoulder to shoulder where it's not interpersonal, but we're shoulder to shoulder looking at the problem and coming up with solutions together. And the quicker we can get to we working together on the real problem, the faster we're going to have resolution, the better results we're going to have overall. And we're on the same team again. But as long as it's 
face-to-face personal, I'm just bitter at you. That is less time we get to focus on the, the thing that's really the thing we should be working on. And so I wanted to add one last thing around this that I think is super helpful. Many times we always say it takes two to tango, that idea. And, uh, but most of the time we think that it's the other person's fault. <laughs> and so um, here's what I've realized. I've realized that it's never just the other person's fault. And I want to own whatever percent of fault I have, even if they're 99% wrong, in my opinion, and I'm 1% wrong, then I want to own or if I'm nine, I'm one person, sorry, if they're, I don't even know if I got that right. <laughs> but basically if they're, if I have 1% of the challenge in the conversation, I'm, I'm 1% at fault. I want to own my 1% and not demand that they own their 99. And so by owning what I, Hey, listen, I could have approached that differently. I'm sorry about that. Or I came in really aggressive. I think I'm I think I'm ticked off because I was up all night with the puppy last night or whatever is coming up for me. If I can own myself, it just automatically creates I've seen this over and over where they can own their stuff and we get shoulder to shoulder real quick. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. What a beautiful picture of standing together against the problem and it's not me against you that's you're not the problem i'm not looking at you that's the problem speaking of uh conflict it sounds like there might be a a a couple of dogs that are either really happy or uh very excited about each other in the lawn outside so we want to recognize that that's happening but yeah um don't want to edit out what we just what we just caught so just for our listeners benefit there so Dustin, I love this conversation about conflict. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, not a fun topic for a lot of people, but I, I feel like we've been able to kind of reshape even the idea of, of what is, that there is good conflict. So as you're coaching top level leaders, you're, you're, you're coaching leaders that are owning the business or leading a big part of the business in, in these com, uh, clients that we work with. What are you seeing or what would you recommend leaders do when it comes to conflict for their organization? How do we help them run toward good conflict? Hmm. Well, sadly, conflict is a really painful thing for many people in their upbringing. You know, they didn't see healthy conflict in a lot of their environments or they've experienced really bad conflict and that led to abuse or different other things. And so the first thing I recommend leaders do is reframe what conflict means. And um, the way you do that is you, you address it head on. Here's what conflict looks like and here's why it's good. And um, here's, and in hearing where people come to in their own stories around this idea of conflict is important in this conversation as well. So you can understand how to reframe in order to get to a place where Conflict is good, not a bad thing. Secondly, is to help people understand that just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's it's not worth doing. Um, I'm uh, I'm doing this body beast workout program. Highly recommend it if you're looking at something, Jay, and anybody else. But um, there's this moment Thanks. where yeah, it's. <laughs> I know there's this moment where uh, it's chess day and this dude, like he's this ripped football player, like doing chess. 
And the guy who's running the program, he says, is it hard? And the guy says, yeah, it's hard like this. And, and then the guy says, but it's just hard. And so I'm going to get through it. And I'm, I'm always thinking about that. Like, yeah, is conflict hard? Yeah, it's hard, but it's just hard. We can get through it. And just, just realizing, yeah, it might be uncomfortable. There might be feelings that don't feel nice, but it's just feelings that don't feel nice. Let's get through this because we're going to be better for it. So there's that survivability quotient that's really important. Like if we can establish that conflict is survivable and we can actually be better on the other side, it raises the value of healthy conflict on the organization. Yeah. And, and one last thing on this, Jay, I think sometimes you've got to change the word. So conflict can create lots of negative. Um, sometimes I talk about conversation versus discussion. And discussion has that same kind of root word with percussion, this idea of like beating against. And a discussion is okay to have. It's okay to have that kind of drum that we experience. Um, but sometimes you may need to change the word. Just know that, that certain words will trigger certain things. And so you don't have to push the word conflict in order to get the results you want. And I've experienced that with leaders where they just change the, they change the word and it changes the outcome. Yeah. So, you know, leadership is language. And so creating that language around how do we do this? What are the rules of the game? And how do we survive it in, in a way that, that helps us thrive and not just survive? But thanks, Dustin, for some incredible ideas around conflict. I know this is something that comes up a lot in executive coaching. And, and I appreciate what you do for our clients and helping them. Because really what coaching is, is helping people in real time. Like this thing happened yesterday. You're, you just happened to be on a call today. And so you get to kind of work with people in real time. It's not like going off to a conference or a seminar once a year and hearing something. It's more like, you know, what is happening today and how do we help you think differently about the situation? So thanks for serving our clients in that way and being in real time with them. I know I get a lot of uh, great feedback about the just people love working with you and, and you've been a real big help to them and their business. So thanks for what you do for our team. Oh, man, it's just such a pleasure. I love investing in these leaders in a way that helps them go to the next level and create environments of flourishing. So um, it's my pleasure, Jay. And thank you for letting me do this podcast and uh, look forward to seeing my, my clients down the road coming out of this. Uh, you know, just glad that they get to experience this too, because they've informed a lot of it. So thank you to all my clients for being part of the conversation unintentionally. Uh, but it's been really, really great. So thanks. Thank you everyone for joining us on the show. We look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for listening to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Rains. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, comment, and share. You can also visit our website at buildyourculturebrand.com. We would like to note that LeadersQ serves individual owner-operators and their teams and is not affiliated, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with Chick-fil-A Incorporated.